Make sure you're subscribed to Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. You don't have these overly high hopes on what politics and government can do, and so when that doesn't go your way, you go back to your church, you go back to your families, you go back to your job, to the things that give you meaning and purpose. And the left doesn't have that because they put all their eggs in the basket of what politics can do for them. This is what we believe, and I don't care what Karen in the parish council says or what Father Happy Clappy says. This is what the church teaches. Atheists say they don't believe in God. I always say I don't believe in them. We can't properly celebrate Christmas unless we face the harsh realities of being sinful and living in a fallen world. So Advent is about those realities, facing them head on, and then yearning for deliverance by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wisconsin turkey producers love issues, etc. After the Dobbs ruling when Roe was overturned, it took a couple days because the media was ready to say that we were going backwards, that we were falling out of step with the rest of the world, and then they did their homework. And for a change, at least the New York Times and the Washington Post honestly admitted, well, we thought that we were falling behind. We thought that the rest of the world was way ahead of us on promoting abortion, but it turns out the rest of the world isn't. And that the United States, along with some rather unsavory countries, were the outliers on the abortion issue. The world globally is more pro-life than, well, the media or the Biden administration would have you believe the Biden administration is out there promoting abortion internationally and in some ways coercively all over the place. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 22nd of November. Alyssa Corrin joins us from Alliance Defending Freedom International to talk about global abortion promotion in the Biden administration. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Jesus calling his first disciples in Luke chapter 5 with Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel. We'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line, and then we'll discuss informing the conscience with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. He's author of an essay titled Teaching the Conscience to the Youth, a Survey. Joining us to discuss global abortion promotion in the Biden administration, Alyssa Corrin. She's an attorney, director of legal communications for Alliance Defending Freedom International, and author of a recent column for The Federalist titled, Biden Uses Your Tax Dollars to Deal Abortions to Pro-Life Countries That Don't Want Them. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you so much, Todd. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. What is the Geneva Consensus Declaration? The Geneva Consensus Declaration, it's really just a group of countries, 36 countries, soon to be 37, that came together two years ago around the platform that there is no international human right to abortion. So just really a group of governments that got together and said, we're going to rally around pro-life women's health policy, and we're going to create a group that stands firm with regard to those issues. And it just kind of stands up against all the pressures that we have with regard to pushing that kind of faux right or fake international human right to abortion. What role did the U.S. Supreme Court's overruling of Roe play in this growing international pro-life movement? And that's such an important question. I think as Americans, we see the impact that the overruling of, of Roe and that all of this is having at a, at a national level, and we see how significant it is. But it's really important, too, that we zoom out and that we see really the tremendous impact that this has 
or really has the potential to have all across the world. And so when you're talking about these 36 governments, these are 36 countries that are sick, to put it bluntly, of international abortion promotion. They're sick of being told by the international institutions, by the UN, and really by the U.S. government that they have to legalize abortion. And they're also really tired of receiving millions, at times even billions of dollars of coercive development aid toward these ends. So not only are they being told you have to legalize abortion, but they're being pumped billions of dollars in this regard so that they follow through on this agenda. And so it's really quite insidious. So when you have something like that happen that's so dramatic in the U.S. context that just shakes up the entire legal abortion landscape in the U.S., it really just shines a spotlight on how hypocritical it is for the U.S. to go into these countries and do this. Because at the very minimum, what we know following Dobbs is that the abortion question is not settled in the U.S. And even more so, even though it's difficult, we know that there's just this massive pro-life momentum and that ultimately we're seeing generational wins like we couldn't even barely hope for up until this you know, momentous judgment. So if that is happening in the U.S., then it's just so incongruous and so inappropriate for the Biden administration to be going around the back door and forcing these countries to change their laws on abortion. So the hope is that these changes really encourage and empower these governments, that they're able to look more critically at the money that they're being given, and that they're able to say, wait a minute, we don't have to change our laws and policies that protect unborn life just because another government is telling us when that own country is dramatically renewing and revising its abortion landscape itself. So how are these pro-life countries specifically reacting to attempts to impose what you call that faux human right to abortion on them and other countries? Yeah, I think it's it's a mixed landscape. And you have, on the one hand, more powerful countries, so countries that really have a voice in the international arena kind of going at it on their own. So if you keep an eye on what's going on at the United Nations, on any given day, if you walked into the UN building, you would see that happening on a kind of a one-off level. You would see maybe a stronger African country saying no from the UN floor. You would see um, Arab countries and Caribbean countries doing the same. But this is obviously highly dependent on the amount of influence and power that that country has to say, no, we don't want these things in our country. And you can see in that way how quickly they lose resolve when they function in that way. So now what we're seeing with the emergence of the Geneva Consensus two years ago, and it really becoming solidified over the last two years, is that there's more of an inclination and more momentum to band together and to do it together. By sheer numbers, the way things work in international foreign policy, they're going to be more successful in this way. And so having things like the commemoration event at the U.S. Capitol that happened last week is a really important indicator of countries putting an official declaration out there and renewing that declaration every year to simply say there's no international human right to this stuff and we're saying this together. And so that's kind of a new trend in terms of pro-life foreign policy and something that I think is going to be tremendously successful and we'll be seeing fruits from that in the years to come. Go into a little more detail on how the Biden administration is attempting to upend pro-life laws internationally. Yeah, so... This was, you know, one of the foremost priorities of the administration, and they they make no qualms about that. So immediately upon taking office, the administration undid all of the pro-life protections that had been set up under the previous Trump administration and that are really customary for Republican administrations. So one of the first things that the Biden administration did was reinstate international funding for abortion worldwide, reinstate funding 
for UNFPA, which is the abortion arm of the UN, and then withdraw the U.S. from the Geneva Consensus. So if we were skeptical about the impact of the Geneva Consensus, seeing that that was an immediate priority for the Biden administration to withdraw the U.S. from that should reassure us of the coalition's significance. It was really important for the Biden administration to get the U.S. out of there because they know how impactful and how significant this coalition, this group of countries really is. And so that was the first steps. And then since then, what they've done is just systematically recommit and accord higher budget, higher money to funding abortion in these countries. And so when they release their annual budget, there's always a significant amount earmarked for the code name for international abortion promotion, which is sexual and reproductive health and rights policies. And so just in the last year, that number went up 9%. It's something just shy of $600 million. And so these are U.S. taxpayer dollars. That's what we need to remember. So these are our dollars going toward the funding, not just the abstract promotion, but really the paying for of abortion programs and policies in these countries that have already expressly stated they don't want it and they have very real development needs at play. So for every dollar that we're putting in the hands of an abortion group in these countries, that's money that's not going toward really helping women in these countries, that's going toward alleviating all of the serious medical problems, maternal health problems, infant mortality problems that our money should be going to. You call the U.S. an outlier internationally on abortion. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so under the kind of row abortion landscape, this country was one of only seven in the world that allowed abortion to be permissible under the law up until birth. And so now that everything is really shaking up with Dobbs and with the overturning of Roe, there is this kind of tendency in the mainstream media and, you know, amongst proponents of the abortion agenda to say now the U.S. is going to go so backwards and now we're traveling back in time into this era, this dark age where women's rights are taken away from them. But the reality is that with the overturning of Roe, now what's happening is that we're allowing the United States to realign with majority international practice on this issue. And so most countries, if you look at all of the laws around the world, it's undeniable that most countries protect unborn life. And they do this through a variety of different laws. And and there's a, a real diversity of the international landscape with how countries handle abortion. But most countries criminalize abortion. And then the ones that are more permissive along the spectrum allow it on an exceptions basis. And so obviously that's completely different from what we had in the U.S. under the Roe framework. And so another way that you see kind of diversity across the spectrum is with regard to gestational age, how long in a woman's pregnancy abortion is legal. But most countries also limit that to quite strict gestational age of under 14 weeks. Many actually limit it under 12 weeks. So abortion is obviously a grave injustice and an an evil across the board. But what you can see in these laws is that there is a recognition of the fact that it has to be highly restrictive and that it's in no way at the level that the U.S. was permitting under Roe. So now with all of these changes, you can really see the possibility as we have these state by state battles in the U.S. with the fight here, allowing the U.S. to reposition itself more like other countries. And ultimately, we can see that it's not this hugely retrogressive step for the U.S. After the Dobbs ruling, major media outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post were finally forced to admit that the U.S. had been out of step with most of the West on abortion, as you just mentioned. Why did it take so long for that story to be told? 
Yeah, I think that ultimately you can just hop on Google and you can Google search the laws in these countries. And what I just told you is really easily verifiable. There was actually a, uh, it was kind of an ironic moment, but there was a amicus brief, a friend of the court brief filed before the Supreme Court on the part of 141 international legal scholars. And the basic argument in that brief was just, there's no international human right to abortion and majority state practice across the world is pro-life or heavily restrictive on abortion. With all the data and the sites there, which is just, let's cite the laws in these countries. It was just a humorous moment because the New York Times actually picked up on that and said, we didn't believe it, but we fact-checked it and it actually is true. And I think it, it does point to what you're saying, which is there is this immense reluctance just to point to the reality of the international landscape because the international landscape doesn't work in their favor. It's not telling the narrative that they want to tell. And so obviously we know what the ultimate like effect of this is for them. It just encourages and inspires them to go into these countries and to force them to change their laws and policies so that they can get to the international landscape that they want. The fortunate side is that we are aware of these dynamics and that it really is now in the hands of these individual governments to say no to these course of pressures. And as Americans, I think what we need to be doing is to ring the alarm bell to you know, empower them as best as possible to say no to these things. But they just they don't want to admit that most countries are pro-life because it just does not work for their narrative. How is it sometimes illegal for the U.S. to promote abortion abroad? That's something that um, I think it's, it's even more important to start stating clearly now that we're seeing really the full brunt of this international abortion pressure emanating from the U.S., But, you know, we talked a little bit already about how it's really inappropriate. But you also have to say illegal just simply based on the fact that we are promoting abortion via American tax dollars in countries where the practice of abortion is actually illegal. And so when I say that we're promoting abortion, that's not like an abstract concept. We're actually funding big abortion, International Planned Parenthood, Marie Stopes International, these big abortion groups to go into these countries and perform abortion. It doesn't take a high level of like research analytics to see that this is happening in these countries. And that's only the half of it. So I'm sure that what's happening under the table is even far more egregious than that, which we can discern with our own research. But the U.S. government is actually going into these countries and paying for big abortion to perform abortions. And when you have clearly worded criminal laws criminalizing the practice of abortion in these countries, the only inference then is that what the U.S. government is doing is illegal. The Biden administration promotes abortion as integral to women's health. You mentioned that their code for abortion is women's health. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I think when we look at what the work of this Geneva Consensus Declaration is doing, that really does offer us the answer, which is that we're not just coming up against abortion. We're not just saying abortion is wrong and then just like ending the conversation there. We're saying We need to keep the focus on authentic women's health and authentically supporting women and their babies through pregnancy and and then beyond. And so obviously what the Biden administration is doing is not unique. It's part of an entire worldview, which is twofold. I think it really does see abortion as the answer to a country's development problems. If you have free access to abortion, your country is going to progress and is going to make it through certain metrics to the point where it's a profitable and successful country. And that's obviously not being true. And then the other is, I think, even the more insidious, which is that this is what women need to progress within that context. And so in terms of how we respond to this, they are relentless in putting forward this this kind of faux narrative 
And it's just really a manipulation of what the reality is for women in these countries. And I think we just need to keep going back to that. And we need to take and hear and elevate the voices of what these women are saying in these developing countries, which is we want to be able to have children. We want to be able to safely bring our babies into life. We want safe hospitals and good medical care and sanitary conditions. And we do accept development funding, but we don't want it to come with strings and be coercive. So the answer to your question is complicated, but I think it really just is bring the focus back on that, on the reality in these countries and what women really need. Finally, you had mentioned at the outset that from the very first day of the Biden administration, it was among their highest priorities to export abortion ideology. Why is it such a high priority for them? Yeah, I think that really coincides with this vision of development. And so there's probably different ways that you can answer that question. The more positive answer is that there does seem to be amongst the international community, like this deeply ingrained belief that abortion is essential for a country's long-term growth. And that when you position this as a woman's right, it really is a fundamental pathway for development. And then that, but that also kind of obscures the much more nefarious narrative, which is that for a long time, and it hasn't, it's been hidden in plain sight, the United Nations and other similar international institutions have really moved forward with this idea of population control. And it can seem conspiratorial when you talk about it. But if you spend time at the UN, which I have, I've worked there for 10 years, it's not as hidden as one would expect. So it's the idea that there's overpopulation in these countries. And one of the best ways to combat that is to simply improve access to abortion services. But they realized in roughly around the mid-1990s, early 2000s, that this wasn't very palatable and it was coming across as aggressive and racist and colonialist and all of those horrible undertones that come with that. And so they repositioned it. They kind of remarketed the whole campaign as a woman's rights and a woman's empowerment issue. And so they're, they're seeing a lot of success with that. But ultimately, I think that that population control narrative and that population control thread is still very much what is at the basis of this. And we have to do everything in our power to kind of lift the veil there and to make clear that this is what ultimately drives this kind of agenda. Alyssa Corrin is an attorney, director of legal communications for Alliance Defending Freedom International and author of a recent column for The Federalist titled Biden Uses Your Tax Dollars to Deal Abortions to Pro-Life Countries That Don't Want Them. You'll find a link to it and to Alliance Defending Freedom International at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Alyssa, thank you. Thank you. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Jesus calling his first disciples in Luke chapter 5 with Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel next. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org.
Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. lutheranpublicradio.org Defending life from beginning to end. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Do you want your neighbors and community to see what you're celebrating this Christmas season? Why not display an outdoor nativity in front of your home or church? It's a great way to show others what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Check out the Outdoor Nativity Store at OutdoorNativityStore.com. Durable, affordable, and American-made nativities. OutdoorNativityStore.com. OutdoorNativityStore.com.